So this reading comes from Matthew chapter 5 and begin in verse 11. Jesus said, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we do give you thanks that you are with us. Lord, that your presence, your holy presence is in this place. So Lord, thank you for meeting with us and we pray that you would open our hearts, soften us, Lord, that we might receive the gifts you long to give us. Holy Spirit, that you would make these words come alive to us today because, Lord, we are hungry and thirsty for you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you would grab a seat. Well, again, good morning. Everybody's having a great holiday weekend. Um, if you are visiting with us today, uh, as Ryan said, we're just so glad that you're here. Uh, we are in the middle of a series on the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, we've been going through Matthew really just looking at this account of the life and the teachings and the ministry of Jesus. And really asking, what does this teach us about who Jesus is and what does it teach us about who we are? And so we're going to continue in our series this morning and pick up where we left off last week. I want to invite you, if you've got a Bible or you want to grab a Bible from a seat near you, you can turn to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be in those verses I just read, Matthew chapter 5, 11 through verse 16. Uh, as you're turning there, just a, a reminder, last week we looked at uh, the opening to one of Jesus' most famous teachings, the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus begins with these incredible blessings called the, the Beatitudes. And in these blessings, we talked about the fact that really what Jesus in some ways is doing is inviting us in. He's come, he's announced the kingdom, he's bringing it into uh, this world, and he invites us into that through faith, through these blessings. And so he says, congratulations, right, invitation, welcome into the kingdom. And so as he's doing that, he's inviting us in. And then immediately he follows that with these words of declaration that we're going to talk about this morning about who we are. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And so we're going to talk about that. We're going to kind of unpack that. But before we get that, I want to look at this verse that's right before those words. Because I think to understand this declaration about our identity... We have to understand it in the context of what Jesus says right before. And he says these words. He says, blessed are you 
when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. And so Jesus says, look, when you begin to follow me, when you enter in to this kingdom, uh, people are going to look at you in such a way that they see you as um, objects of scorn. He basically says they're going to see you as backwards or as narrow-minded or as bigoted or naive or whatever the case may be. They will see you in a particular way because of your association with me. And so he says you need to realize that that's going to happen. But it's interesting. He says blessed are you when this happens. Blessed are you when you are persecuted. In fact, he goes on to say even more that. He says rejoice in the next verse, verse 12. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. See, Jesus knew that following him would entail blessing, but it would also entail persecution. And indeed, many of Jesus' earlier followers were killed. They were martyred. They died because of their faith in Jesus, their association with Jesus. Now, we don't experience that here. Um, but there are millions of people who experience that across the world, even today. There are people who are following Jesus, and for no other reason, their lives and their livelihoods are put at risk on a daily basis. People are gathering around the world this morning, just as we are, and the very fact that they are gathering in the name of Jesus means that there's, there are things that could happen to them. Uh, their, their jobs could be lost. Their, their reputation could be destroyed. Their very lives could be at risk. And so this reality is as true uh, today as it was then. And I think it's especially uh, significant for us. You know, we, we are part of the Anglican Church, which for some of you I know is kind of a, a new thing. But part of what that means is we're part of a global church. We have a, a, a family that extends beyond this room, that extends to over 80 million people and uh, countries all over the world. And some of those brothers and sisters of ours, as they gather today, they are among those who are persecuted. Some of our brothers and sisters in places like Myanmar and Nepal and Nigeria and the Congo, these places where just having the name Jesus on your lips means that you could be subject to death or to torture or to all kinds of persecution. And so it's real today. So when Jesus speaks these words, it's relevant for today, even if it's not relevant uh, for us. But we too experience persecution. A, a pastor, a friend of mine, calls it soft persecution uh, in our country. And I think more and more we're beginning to experience some of what he's talking about here. Just by being associated with Jesus, uh, for example, by affirming that you would actually follow in the way of Christ and believe he was the Son of God and believe the teachings of the Scriptures. To put yourself in a category of people like that actually puts you in a place where people make certain assumptions about the kind of person you are. And they ostracize you. They talk about you. They insult you. They dismiss you. We experienced that. A good friend of mine who's a pastor, he told me this happened a while back. He was at a party. And while he was at the party, he uh, met some, uh, some new friends. And they were all kind of standing around talking, having a drink, just getting to know each other and having a great time, laughing. You know, and, and in the midst of the conversation, that question came up, well, what is it you do for a living? And he actually said, well, I, I don't want to tell you. 
what it is I do for a living. And they were like, oh, this is good. This is juicy. They're guessing all these shady things that he might be and that he might do that he wouldn't want, he'd be embarrassed to share. And he, he, when he finally just gave in. He's like, well, he's like, I'm a pastor. And one of the guys that was standing there, he said, really? He's like, but you seem like such a nice guy. And then he walked away. And slowly everybody that was around that group just kind of found an excuse to walk away. And the reality is we, we face things like that, right? If we speak the name of Jesus in a certain context, it elicits a response from people, and the response can be negative. And so we, we can identify with this, I think, so that when Jesus says, look, this is going to happen, we felt that on a certain level. And we've witnessed that on a global level. And so Jesus says, this is going to happen. You'll be insulted. You'll be rejected. You'll even be killed. So how can he say, rejoice then and be glad. What is Jesus talking about? How in the world can we rejoice in the face of persecution? Now he says that uh, with this statement. He says, rejoice because your reward in heaven will be great. Jesus says the truth is that in this space, right, in this fallen world as it exists, even though his kingdom has come and is coming, it will ultimately come. But in this space now, the reality is following Jesus is costly. And there will be suffering associated with that. There will be persecution. But in the heavenly realms, in God's kingdom, in that reality that is coming and will come, there's reward. It will be rewarded. So when people roll their eyes at you because you actually read the Bible, when people say things about you and and mock you for your beliefs, when you feel foolish because you felt the Holy Spirit leading you to do something and you took that step of faith and you did it and people think you look like an idiot, there's a reward for those things in heaven. And that matters because what Jesus is inviting us to do is he's inviting us to see this world through God's perspective. Not through the worldly perspective, but through a kingdom perspective perspective, to see the world through the lens of his kingdom, not the kingdom of this world. And so Jesus says to us, he says, look, persecution is coming, but rejoice. Be glad. There is a reward in the heavenly realms. Now, when we hear that persecution is coming, I think it's difficult for us because the reality is that's hard. No matter what level of persecution it is, it's, it's tempting to get discouraged in the face of those kinds of things. It's tempting to lose hope. And so I think that's what Jesus' word to us is. Don't lose hope. Rejoice. Hold on to the joy that is yours, that's beyond your circumstances here. And so he's telling us that, encouraging us. I think another temptation for us when we face persecution is that we might be tempted to kind of go underground with our faith. If our faith is too costly, we might be tempted to kind of back off a little bit, right? To, to hide, to, to keep it um, private. Yeah, faith is a private thing, right? It's a personal thing, not a public thing. And so we kind of buy into that. And even on the extreme, sometimes we cloister among ourselves, right? As followers of Jesus, let's just all be together and we won't have to interact with the world outside. We don't have to face the persecution and the rejection and the scorn. It can be as small as you know, that, that awkwardness you feel on the inside when you know, 
on the Monday morning, somebody says, hey, what did you do this weekend? And you want to talk about everything with that person except the fact that you went to church on a Sunday morning. It can be something that small, like internal, or it can really be you know, some of the bigger things that I think we struggle with, like the double life reality that I think many of us struggle with if we were totally honest. And I think this is more and more true and harder and harder to deal with in our culture than maybe it's ever been. This, this double life reality that our identity uh, in one place is not the same as our identity in another. Who we act like this place is different than who we act like on a Friday night or at work or at school. It's interesting. I think our culture feeds this reality, this kind of double life syndrome that we face, in part because we're told we can be whoever we want to be. We can be whoever we want to be. Our identity is no longer based on a sense of self, but rather what we feel in any given moment. And so we live with what uh, Pastor Mark Sayer calls disposable identities. These identities that we kind of pick up and use for as long as they're helpful, and then we kind of discard them and pick up another identity. He says this in his um, great little book called Vertical Self. He says, we crave to know our true identity to know who we really are, to see ourselves as God made us to be and sees us to be. And yet at the same time, this desire in us is derailed and sabotaged by our culture, which offers imitations of our true identity, faux identities, and these images instead of the image of God. And so you can be whoever you want, whenever you want. And so it's no wonder, I think, that we... We're tempted to act so differently in one place to the next. And it even happens in this room. You know, as a pastor, I feel this acutely. You know, I know when I walk into a room, it changes the room if you know who I am and what I do, right? Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to say that word. You know, I get that a lot at parties once they figure out who I am. And the reality is the same here. Like, we can put up a pretense if we're not careful about who we are in this space. We can live a double life. And Jesus is saying, that's not the life of the kingdom. It's not this double life. And what he does here then is he addresses this issue, this temptation that we feel um, that drives us to actually lose sight of who we are. And that's why he says these words. He says, remember who you really are. Who are you? You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. That is who you are. So what did Jesus mean? Well, let's look at these two things, salt first. For one, when Jesus says you're the salt of the earth, uh, he's pointing at um, some Old Testament imagery here that I think is helpful to understand. He's pointing to the fact that in the Old Testament, on animal sacrifices, salt would be sprinkled on the sacrifice. It was a a purification rite. It was a way of setting apart something and making it holy. You know, and you just visibly, it reinforces this. Salt is kind of pure. It doesn't get discolored. It helps disinfect. It can be, uh, uh, you know, a preservative in these ways. And so Jesus says we are to be like that, like salt. As followers of Jesus, we are to live pure and holy lives in this world. That what we say and what we do and what we listen to and we watch, where we go, all the things of our life, they reflect who we are, our identity. and reflects the way of life that we've been invited to in Jesus. And so salt, um, in that sense, is is pure. Salt is also um, something that's used for flavor. 
You know, salt, a little salt on your food makes it taste better, right? And as followers of Jesus, we're supposed to be an influence in the world that makes the world taste better. (laughs) Makes the world better than it was without Christ and his people. And so the way we talk to our friends, our coworkers, our neighbors, children, to one another in this place, in this community, it ought to be kind of laced with God's grace, so to speak. Kind, encouraging, patient. We should be advocating for those in need of justice and mercy in our world. We should be a voice for those that don't have a voice. We should stand in the place of those who are forgotten and abused. We should be the kinds of people who have a reputation in our city as being salty, right? Being people who are um, caring about those that no one else cares about to the point that everyone is asking the question, why are those people doing that? I don't agree with them. I don't support everything they believe, but, but there's something about the way that they live and the way that they care about people that is drawing me in. And Jesus says that's what we're supposed to be like, that if our saltiness is drawing in people, then we're living in the way of Jesus. And so at, at Apostles, we want to be a community that's salty in that way. We want to be a community that's drawing in those who are hurting, those who are confused, those who are hungry, because they know by reputation this is a place for them. This is a place where God meets people like them. And the last salt is a preservative. As followers of Jesus, we are called to spread throughout the world to preserve it, to keep things from going bad. In other words, what you do day in and day out. I don't know if you've ever thought about it. What does is, what, is what I do every day have to do with my faith? Well, I think Jesus is saying it has everything to do with your faith. What you do day in and day out in that meeting or in this class or at carpool or at the grocery store or volunteering or what you do with your money, all these things have the power to be agents for the kingdom because they're sprinkled throughout this world and they have a preserving effect. They help with God's agenda to bring human flourishing and restore creation. And so we are called to be salt as a preservative. And so this is why following Jesus can't be a personal or private thing. Like salt, we are to be spread out, sprinkled across life, not just kind of concentrated here in one big pile of salt. I mean, I don't know if anybody ate like a bowl of salt today. It's disgusting. That's gross. Don't do that. Don't let your kids do that. We're supposed to be spread out, sprinkled throughout, right? So as followers of Jesus, we have a purifying, a, a, this kind of perfecting, preserving mission in the world. And so we should ask ourselves is the way that we speak, the way that we act, is it bringing God's goodness into this situation? Is it bringing God's purity and His holiness into this place? Is what I'm doing here today making things better? Because that's what salt does. And so Jesus says that's our call, that's our identity, and that's our mission. And He goes on to say if that's not what's happened, if that's not what is happening, then that's a problem because what happens if salt loses its saltiness? It's useless. It's good for nothing is what he says. And so he says, this is who we are. You are called to be salt, the salt of the earth. Second, he says, you are the light of the world. You're the light of the world. Now just thinking about light, I mean, first, you know, light just illuminates, right? It, it helps you see. It helps you see where you're going. It helps light a, a, a path, you know, it, it 
functions to bring light so that we can see. But it does more than that. One of the things I think is really fascinating, and I know nothing about like the physics of light, so this may sound really silly, but it's fascinating to me. What, I, what I've observed about light is that when, you, when you're talking about light, light invades the darkness, right? but not the other way around. So just think about if you're entering into a dark room from a light room, you open the door, and what, what do you describe? We say that the light spills into the room, for example, right? The light pours into the room. But we never say that the darkness spilled out of the room, right? It doesn't work the other way around. And, and I think it's really interesting that Jesus chooses this idea of light because I think there's something about that idea, that light actually overpowers darkness in that way. It, it enters in and it pushes back darkness, but the opposite isn't true. It's the same idea um, as in this, you know, the amazing introduction to John's gospel. Right? I love what Jesus is described as the light that comes into the world. And what does it say? It says the darkness has not overcome the light, has not overcome Jesus the light. Light overpowers the darkness. And it's not a new idea. Jesus is, is picking up on this ancient idea that actually is in our reading from earlier from Isaiah chapter 42 in verses 6 and 7, it says, I am the Lord. I've called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. See, this has always been God's plan. That through his people, first through Israel and now through the true Israel, as we've talked about, Jesus, who fulfills the covenant personally, and now through the church, the body of Christ, his people, light will overcome the darkness. And Jesus even points to himself again in Matthew 4, and he says, he says, the people living in the darkness, they've seen a great light. And who is that light? It's Jesus. Jesus himself is the light of the world which makes it all the more remarkable when he then turns to us as the people of God and he says, you are the light of the world. You now are the light of the world. He says, that's your identity and that is your mission in this life, that through God, light will shed into the darkness and break and overcome the darkness, that blind will see, captives will be set free. Those living in darkness will see a great light. And how will they do that? They will do that through Jesus, through his people, the church. And so Jesus makes this incredible declaration about who we are. We are the light of the world. And Jesus gives us a couple of quick examples about how this works. One, he says, it's like a city on a hill that can't be hidden. So you're traveling and you see in the distance a city. It's on a hill. You can't miss it. It's obvious. It provides a point of reference. It is something you cannot miss on the landscape. And Jesus says that's what we're to be like. We're to be obvious. Not, uh, I don't know. Are they followers of Jesus? Maybe. I can't. No. Obvious. Like a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. And then he says you're also like a, a, a candle, like this lamp set in a room. And it brings light to the whole house. It, it, it makes no sense to cover that up. The whole purpose of the lamp is to give light to the house. And so Jesus says, that's what you're like. You're not to be covered up. You're not to be hidden. In other words, everything Jesus is saying here is that we are to be visible. 
highly visible, noticeable in our faith. As followers of Jesus, we are to work and live and everything with our families and everything with what we do. Everything is to point to Jesus and it, for it to be obvious, obvious to the world that that is what we are and that is what we're called to be and do. So we're to be visible. I, it made me think of uh, when I was working for a consulting firm before I went into full-time ministry. I had worked there for a number of years, and I remember I was visiting a new church, and I bumped into a coworker that I, I thought I knew really well uh, at this church. And we went up to each other, and we said, oh, my God, I can't believe you're a Christian. I had no idea. This is so awesome, right? And I look back on that, and I think, that is so not awesome, <laughs> right? That's terrible, like, that's problematic because what it means is we have a concept of believing and following and living this life with Jesus that actually means we could keep that private in such a way no one would actually know that I'm a follower of Jesus, not even another follower of Jesus in the same office. And I just think there's a danger for us in this flawed understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's not private, but there's so much pressure for us to keep it private. There's so much pressure for us to, to assimilate and let our lives, except for maybe Sunday mornings, look like everybody else's life. And Jesus says, no, you are the light of the world. And people need to see who I am through you. And so Jesus invites us into this. But the question is, how do we do this? How do we be salty and how do we be bright and shine bright for Jesus? Do we post more Bible verses on Instagram? Uh, do we preach from the corner down by torches? I mean, what are we supposed to do? What does it mean to really take that step out and shine for the Lord Jesus, to be salty? Here's what's really interesting is Jesus goes on to say, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus says his followers are being known for their good for the good that they do. To put it another way, the way that we treat others should be a clear sign, a visible marker of who we are as salt and light. For the way we contribute to the good in the world and for the good of others around us. And the Apostle Peter, he echoes these words of Jesus in his letter. He says, live such good lives, such good lives that the pagans around you, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they don't agree. They think you're crazy. What you believe, they don't agree with it, but that they might see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Glorify God himself because of your deeds. We want to live in such a way that others around us, even though they don't agree with us, they think we're foolish. They would rather insult us than compliment us. They can't deny the genuine desire of our heart to be agents of good in our neighborhood, in our office, wherever we find ourselves. And I'm, I'm proud of our church. We're a small little community. But I feel like the Lord is doing amazing things to help us shine bright for the Lord Jesus here in the city. I mean, I, I'm amazed that in just two weeks, we said, hey, can we buy uniforms for that whole school right down the street? And we raised over $4,000 in two weeks. And that is a small thing in the scheme of things. But it's huge for that school. 
It's huge because that school, I've been told by the faculty, they think nobody cares in this neighborhood, cares about that school. And it's not true. The Lord Jesus cares about that school. And so we care about that school. And so we've done things like buy uniforms for kids so that our good deeds might draw attention to Jesus. And so I love that we're doing things like that. We're doing things with with groups like Lifehouse and with Fostering Family in Houston and and other ways that we're shining light and being salt in our city. Things like Alpha that we're going to run again this fall. And and the ways, the myriad of ways, I mean, I I don't even know all the ways that, that many of you are just serving. Sometimes in your vocation, sometimes volunteering all over the city, doing things that are good deeds for the Lord Jesus. And what Jesus says is, when you do these things out of your faithfulness and your affection for me, others will see those things and it will draw them to worship, not you, but him. Isn't that incredible? That if you do good for the Lord Jesus, it glorifies him. And it draws people into this place where they can experience eternal life now with Jesus. And so I think this is, this is part of our life call is to, to not hide it, to not let it go private, but to be public. Wherever we go out there that people might see in us Jesus. But I think it also matters as much as it does out there. It matters in here. It matters how we treat each other in this community. How we treat each other as brothers and sisters is just as important. It's interesting when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. What's interesting is the you right there, you are the light, you are the salt, is plural. You know, if it it was in the south, it'd be y'all. Y'all are the salt. Y'all are the light. It's a corporate declaration about our identity, who we are in Jesus. And so it matters because it's, it's not just an address to us as individuals, it's an address to us as a community. And how we live as a community matters. What we do bears witness to the world. We are to be salt and light for one another. That's why being present for our Sunday gatherings when we worship and we pray with and for one another, when we gather in things like life groups together, when we do those kinds of things, it's important because it affords us the opportunity to be salt and to be light to each other. It gives us the chance to actually be in a position to extend grace to one another, to walk in in such a way that we glorify God by the way that we love one another and treat one another. And so we operate from this position of grace. You know, sometimes I think we hear stuff like this, we're supposed to do all these things, and we think, oh, so if I do all these things, then I'll be light. That's another interesting, you are. Jesus doesn't say you will be or you could become or you should be. He says you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. This is who you are. And so before he ever unpacks how to do this, he points to this as our identity. He says, this is who we are, and we live this out. And we live it out in the power of the Spirit. That's the other important thing. We live this out. How do we do this? We live this out in the power of the Holy Spirit, the spirit of boldness and courage and holiness, that there's power to live this out through our new identity in Jesus. And so Jesus says this is who we are. We are the salt, and we are the light in the world. And so I think part of the question we have to ask ourselves is, are we living in light of our true identity? 
Are we living as people who are salt and who are light in our life? This week I was thinking about this a lot. And it was a, honestly, it was a difficult week for several reasons um, for me. And part of that was because um, this week um, Charlie had to go into the hospital. Now, Charlie Hermes, some of you know very well. Some of you may be new. Charlie has basically been a member of uh, our church from the very beginning. He and Lizzie um, found out that Charlie had liver cancer back in the spring. And Charlie has been battling and fighting that cancer um, over the past several months. And he's been in chemo, and it's been very difficult and very painful. And so they found out uh, this week that he, he was just having a ton of pain and having a really hard time, so they went to the emergency room. And basically what they found out is that he needed to be moved from MD Anderson over to Methodist, and he needs a transplant. He needs a liver transplant. That's where we are with, with his treatment. And so I went to visit with Charlie and Lizzie on Thursday. And just the reality is what they're facing is really, really hard. I mean, it's just, and it's very scary. And some of you know firsthand what this looks like and what this feels like because either you've battled it or you've been close to someone who has. But, you know, Charlie was the first person I ever spoke to on the phone from Apostles when I came here two years ago. He has been a leader. Uh, he has been salt and light in our community and in my life. And so this is a man that I love dearly. And so when I went to see him and just see what shape he's in, uh, I'm just concerned. And it's heartbreaking. But I will tell you, when I walked into that room, what was obvious to me is that, you know, <laughs> Charlie and Lizzie have access to the best doctors and best medicine in the world here in Houston. And, and, and that's a great thing. But here's the reality is that their hope is in Jesus. And you can feel it in the room. When you walk into that room, despite everything that they're going through, despite all the chaos, despite all the pain, the reality is there is peace in that room. And it's the peace of the Lord Jesus. Because they know they're not naive. They know what they're up against, but they know that God is greater than cancer. They know that their faith and their hope can rest in the Jesus who loved them enough to die for them. And there are people around them in their life right now who don't know the Lord Jesus. They don't have that peace. They don't have that assurance. They don't have that hope. And you know what? When they look at Charlie and Lizzie and the way they're responding to these impossible circumstances, you know what they see? They see salt and light. They see a couple whose faith is allowing them to persevere and to bring good into dark places like a cancer ward so that people will look at them and they see Jesus and they're drawn to Jesus. And so I, I just thought about them a lot this week as I thought about what does it mean to be salt and light? You know, sometimes it's really dark. It's really dark. But it just means the Lord has more opportunity to shine bright and for us to be salt and light in those places. And here's the other thing I've been thinking about with this. And, and so we're going to do something that's a little bit out of the box, but we're going to try it anyway. So I've been thinking about their being salt and light. They're in a hospital room right now this morning. They can't be here. They're, they're over there because he literally can't get out of the bed. 
and they're being salt and light, how could we be salt and light to them? They need to be encouraged. They need to be prayed for. They need to know that they're not by themselves because it can be really isolating. And we as the family of God can be salt and light to them. And so a few weeks ago, I was actually talking with Craig Dawson about this, and he threw out an idea, and I think it's a great idea, so we're just going to do it this morning. Um, And again, this is a little bit out of the box, but, but what I'd like to do is I'd like for us to be salt and light for them, one, by praying for them. I know there's lots of us that need prayer, but I really want us to focus the the prayers of our body on this acute need right now. I want us to do that. But I also want, um, there's little cards in the seat backs near you, little index cards. What I want you to do is I want you to get the index card out, um, and there should be pens in those little boxes. And you may not even know Charlie before. You never heard his name before today. But I'm telling you, this will mean so much. And you can just write something very simple, and I'll give you some examples in a second. But what we're going to do we're just going to write notes of encouragement. We're going to speak truth to Charlie and encourage him and Lizzie. And so I just want you to write a little note on the card. It doesn't have to be anything fancy or complicated. It can be a passage of scripture that you just want to share with them and encourage them with. If you, a picture, if you want to draw a picture or you're a gifted artist, draw a little picture on there. Whatever you want to do, just do something that would be an, a way of encouraging them and supporting them. And then we're going to pray over these cards and we're going to deliver them to them this week.